Hey, good morning, church. How are you guys? All right, I'm willing to let this fall flat on his face, so here we go. Um, can I see a show of hands? Show of hands. Who in here would answer the question that, who in here can dance? It's okay. Don't fake it. Don't raise your hands if you can't. Okay, Noah can dance. Olivia and Mila. Uh, I see people pointing at people, but I don't see. Okay. All right. So here's, here's the thing. Juliet was going to read a scripture about dancing. But reading scriptures about dancing before the Lord does us no good if we're not dancing. So it's just words on a page. Um, so Mila, Olivia, and Noah can dance. We're going to do a song that lends itself to dancing. Would you guys like to dance? Would you, you want, Mila, Mila is shaking her head. Noah, how about you? Do you want to dance out there or do you want to come up here and dance? Noah's going to dance out there. What about you, Mila and Olivia? You want to dance out there or up here? Uh, down there? Okay. I'm going to be watching you guys because the church needs to learn how to dance. So can you do that for me? Like, can you, can you do some jumping and some dancing? I'll do a little bit of it, but then I won't play the right chords. I'm not very good. I'm not good enough to do that. So, all right. Here we go. Let's just do it. You ready? Let's sing it. Wandering into the night. Wanting a place to hide this weary soul. This bag of bones. And I try with all my might. I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting. A vagabond. Just when I ran out the road, I met a man I didn't know, and he told me that I was not alone. You pick me up, you turn me around, you place my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, because you healed my heart, you changed my name.
There's a sling in my voice and a stone in my phrase. Pushing back when the darkest weapons formed. There's a power on my lips, even death can't deny. When the name of our God is lifted high, there is resurrection power. We sing the name of Jesus, resurrection power. We raise a mighty sound. Come on, let the praise get loud. Make that empty grave resound. There is resurrection power in His name. There are days I have seen filled with heartache and loss that have been.
worthy. Olivia, good job. Mila, nice work. Noah, that was good. He's worthy of so much more than we give him. And we should thank him for the forgiveness for such half-hearted sometimes praise. Now, I'm not talking about in here. I'm not critiquing your movement. I'm talking about our lives. I'm talking about our day in, day out, minute to minute, hour to hour lives. And that's not a condemning statement. That should be a motivating statement for us to continue to give and give and give and give. Because apparently, based on the example of Jesus, there isn't you, you can pour out everything, including your blood and your sweat and your tears and your entire life, and you've really scratched the surface of the giving that really should be warranted for the God that we serve. So God, teach us to worship you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Give us the desire that bust out of the seams with dancing. Give us the desire that bust out of the seams with, seams with singing so loud that we lose our voice, as Steve often says, or we just start to sound cruddy and we miss the notes because it doesn't matter anymore because we just lost vocal performance and we just, we just sang. We sang like we were calling out dead people from the grave. We sang like we're worshiping a God who raises dead people from the grave. Cause us to clap till our hands are kind of red and stomp on the stage until it starts to fall apart. Play guitar strings until they bust. You are worthy. You, you are so worthy to be praised. Today, receive our praise. I pray that it would be a sweet-smelling offering to you. The fact that you would even turn your head from wherever you are in space and time and all the mystery of that, that you would turn your head to the songs that we sing today is remarkable. Thank you for looking to us and loving us. Thank you for creating us as a loving father, a good father, a father who waits for us, a father who woos us with the mystery and the beauty around us. And maybe we forgot all week long to look to you, but we don't forget that right now. At least right now, as a body, we turn, we look. We focus, we praise. Inhabit the praises of your people as you promised, God. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come more. church you're welcome to bring your gifts your offerings your physical tithes and offerings as we sing this last song because what else would we do except give what else would we do except forgive our voice give our money give our time what else 
So you can give online. You can give in these buckets up front. You can give in the green box in the back. I pray that you would be blessed as we give.
presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. And take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my Than my feet could ever wander 
and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Doesn't sound too bad, does it? Oh, don't, no show of hands, please. We sang that at my daughter's funeral. It's true. My faith will be made stronger. I've told y'all sometimes before, that's when I realized I really believed all the things I talked about. I really believed that there was a heaven. I believed that God was worthy to be trusted in all things. You know why? Because I found out it worked. I found out, and just words and platitudes, they're no good. They're worth absolutely nothing unless they're true, unless they, and when you find out, that's really true. I mean, it's dawned on it. I really believe in heaven. That sounds like weird for a preacher to say, doesn't it? I really believe in heaven. But only when you find out that it's true does it really mean anything. We, we sang the song, Dead Man Come Out of the Grave. And I just want to make clear, we're not talking about walking dead kind of stuff. Not like the TV show. Uh, it's only after God re- renews a body that, it, that we want it to come out of a grave. Some people are walking around with that old, dead, stinking man. And that's no good. Um, Pastor Jacob has an awesome message this morning about what happens after sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of the waiting the, and he calls it the meantime um, so we'll talk more about that alright God bless y'all sit down I want to I want to let you know that uh, Aaron and Novali had their baby last weekend, and we're excited about that. She, we prayed for her to go at least 35 weeks. She went what they called 38 weeks, only it turns out it may have been about 43 weeks because that baby was, was more than ready to come out. It had been incubating maybe way too long but because she ended up having to have a C-section. Anyway, she's all good now, and they're home. I, I would encourage you to look on the meal train. There's a link in the newsletter so that we can provide them a few meals this week because as you know, as many of you know, a baby at home, uh, there's, it's, there's not a very restful time. And so we'll just give them a little bit of help that way. Uh, next food pantry sign up is on the bulletin board back there. I encourage you to take a spot. We had an awesome this uh, time this past Saturday, and there's there's actually a, a, probably a couple of spots open for this coming Saturday. And so you just be aware of that. Talk to Pam if you have any questions. Unity in the community is August is in August, late August. The Saturday is it the last Saturday? It's the nineteenth. Uh, so it's around going back to school time there and the important thing is there's a t-shirt sign up um so if you want to order a uh, t-shirt so that you can serve and wear that t-shirt the sign up is back there and miss tina when is the, the when are they due july 16th okay so about a month before uh we're going to turn in the t-shirt order and you have to pay beforehand so i want to let you know about that all right I need you to take just a quick, short break, and we'll be back to hear from Pastor Jacob.
Praise God. Hmm. Um, it's very possible that uh, the most annoying question in the world is, are we there yet? <laughs> I'm raising five children. And uh, I, never, I never thought that that question uh, could be so traumatic that uh, I would contemplate all sorts of really horrendous things to try to prove the point. But, you know, after incessantly being asked, are we there yet? Usually, I'll just, <clears throat> in not the most Christ-like tone, uh, <laughs> just ask back, are we still moving? <laughs> if yes, then no, we are not there yet. When this car is in park and I turn it off, that's there. Until then, do not ask such a stupid question again. In Jesus' name, I love you. <laughs> We've, we, we have to develop all sorts of strategies to make it through long trips. We, we'll take our children, because it's expensive to fly. And it's torturous to drive. So let's just pick your poison for us. <laughs> we got all sorts of strategies of contemplated putting up barriers. Because like, I, I didn't know that a car that my children do not own can claim space as their own. It's like you have yet to pay a single bill for anything. It's like none of this is yours. So yeah, I don't know why you're claiming this space, but you know, maybe we just put some barriers so that he touched my space. I don't know. It's just, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my grandparents on my mom's side, they lived in Indianapolis and my grandparents on my dad's side lived in Orlando, Florida. And so about almost every year, usually about every other year, we would take a trip as a family to Indiana. And there was four or five times uh, growing up that we, we took a trip to Florida. And each of those drives are more than 20 hours. It's 20 to 24 hours of driving. And uh, we used to have a Chrysler minivan. <laughs> I say that which much sh with much shame that you can forgive me of, I guess. This, that's what we were rolling in the 90s a Chrysler minivan. Um, nobody feels the pain of that? Okay. Only I feel the pain. But here's the deal. This was, this was back in the Wild West, okay? So what we would do is we would remove the bench seats and lay out blankets. And I had, I have, I'm one of four. I have an older brother and two younger sisters. My older brother for my entire life was much taller than me. He went through something that I was unfamiliar with called a growth spurt. <laughs> I had still just, I don't know why it skipped me, but he was always so much taller. And 
though my little sisters were so much littler, they were also more aggressive (laughs) than me. And so uh, in our minivan, like I would only get this tiny little corner at the back, Um, but we would set up one of those uh, TV VCR combos in between the front two seats, kind of wedge it in there and uh, run through VHS tapes. If you don't know what a VHS tape is, it's just really hard to explain. Google it. Um, <laughs> uh, but we would we would we would bring our assortment of movies. But we were uh, we were Christians, and so the selection was very narrow, <laughs> you know. And so it was a combination of Gospel Bill, uh, and uh, our ace in the hole was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which has like almost like a three-hour runtime. And so we would like time the trip by like rotating Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and a nap. And it's like if you just go through that rotation like seven, eight, nine times, we'll be there. Uh, And so my goodness, I think I can quote the entire movie of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Okay. Um, But for me, another strategy, I, I did not just become an introvert. I've always been an introvert. And so I, I have this incredible capacity to shut the world out. Like you just, other people don't exist. I'm not saying that's healthy. I'm just saying I've had that skill for a long time. <laughs> and so in me crammed in my tiny little corner, um, I, I had a Sony Walkman. And uh, again, if you don't know what that is, <laughs> Google it. But, but I was so proud the day that I could get a Sony Discman because CDs were just coming out. Uh, and I had my little packet of CDs of good Christian music of the 90s, you know, also known as the glory days, um, <laughs> where I would have like Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know, saddle up your horses. We got a trail to play. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or Michael W. Smith. I won't sing any of his. He's too talented for me. <laughs> but like, it was really good. It was Carmen. Anybody? Okay. <laughs> Listen up now, y'all. I'm going to try and teach you. Class is now in session. Pay attention to the teacher. We're going through the book, Genesis to Revelation. I'll teach your head how to spell salvation to the nations. You know what I'm talking about. Ain't no shame here. This is good stuff. But then, I, like, I, as I grew up, I got more sophisticated than, you know, childish stuff like that. And so, uh, I was so proud the day I could get, and my parents trusted that third day was actually Christian. You know, if you weren't allowed to listen to Creed, Third Day was a Christian alternative, you know? And if you don't know what Creed is, you were probably too holy at the time, okay? And I won't sing any of those. I don't have a grungy enough voice for that. But then, like, like my, my like peak of music was Jesus Freak. DC Talk. Okay, like, like four Gen Xers here, Okay. The rest of y'all too old for this or you're too young and don't even care, all right? Don't worry about it. 
Jesus Free. It's like the entire album is just peak Christian music of the 90s, okay? Um, if you like pop, hip-hop, or rap, DC Talk had it all, okay? And then you just have to keep convincing your parents, I promise this is Christian, okay? <laughs> this is how I survived 24-hour road trips. Uh, but, you know, notoriously, like every kid, I'm always asking the question, like, are we there yet uh, and now when my kids ask that question the I'm bored are we there yet like after I resist the temptation to just slam the brake so that their head hits the seat <laughs> I don't do that I'm still being conformed into the image of Christ <laughs> Like now, I'm just going to start playing my soundtracks of the 90s for them when they say they're bored. And we'll just see if they have a combination of joy and terror. I don't know. <laughs> but like, they, I'm like, you guys have a switch that like, I, I peeked out at Game Boy, okay? Any, anybody else had a Game Boy? Four, five, six of you? Okay. I don't know, are you my people even? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the switch finally dies, and it's like the second it dies, I'm bored, I don't know what to do. Okay, I'm coming back. Okay. <clears throat> well, like, that's this, this, this desire that I have to be stimulated and distracted until I get where I'm going. And when, when we hit that point, I'm bored. I, it's saying, like, I don't know what else to do. I just want to be there, right? I just, whatever there is, that's where I want to be. And it's, it's this sense where I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but I'm also not where I used to be. And that's the meantime. And it's annoying, because the meantime is almost always longer than we care for it to be. And how often do we ask God that same question? God, are we there? I don't even care where there is. I just know I'm not there. <laughs> the question that we would ask the Lord, are we there yet? It says that, that we don't know how to live in the in-between, in the meantime, we, we're, we're conditioned for distraction. We're conditioned uh, to, to get immediate satisfaction. Um, we, you know, like it was a glorious day, the day that Chick-fil-A developed two drive through lines. Like they were already fast, but man, they can whip it out now. Let's shave that time at down by at least 60 seconds now. Um, this, we're just, that's how we're conditioned. Our culture's conditioned us for immediate satisfaction. And we've developed a very low tolerance for patience. A very low tolerance for waiting. We don't like waiting. We don't like being patient. We just want to be there. And if we're not there, we want to distract ourselves with whatever it takes to get our mind off of the fact and reality that we are not there yet. And yet, again, most of our life is the meantime. Very little of our life are the highlights. History, 
doesn't really record the meantime. Why? Because it's boring. We, like even history itself only records the highlights, the major events. And it's how we often rem- will remember our life. We won't remember most of the in-between, most of the meantime. We'll, we'll almost always only remember the highlights, the, the breakthroughs. And now even social media is, is a way of, of putting out there the highlights of our life. And still seeing our life only through the lens of these highlights, of these breakthroughs, of these big events. And yet, the reality is that like most of our life is the meantime. And, and a lot of that is boring. It's monotonous. It's the quote, day in, day out. You know, it's Mother's Day, and so there's a significant part of raising children that is just diapers and sleep schedules, disruption of sleep schedules and surviving the night. (laughs) Whatever the there is, the there that they'll sleep through the night, right? Like I was, having raised five children, there was always that like, just man, the day that they'll sleep through the night, this is going to be great. And we're 12 plus years into having children and I don't know when that day will come, but we're not there yet. <laughs> Are we there yet, Lord? <laughs> it's it's the, the life of, of sports schedules and recitals and gymnastics and this and that and friends and birthday parties and why do my kids have to have so many friends and cousins? Because it seems like there's a birthday party all the time. <laughs> it's the boring of life that's just the bills and the work and sleep. And if you get enough, if you're probably not going to get enough of that, so the coffee, and the, which is, you know, that's the one good thing that's like, <laughs> is a part of the in-between. Good coffee. Um, but... <sighs> None of us enjoy that. And yet, how we handle breakthroughs, the major events of our life, what you could potentially call the highlights of our life, how we handle that, the good and the bad, the good kind of breakthroughs and the bad kind of tragedies, how we handle those major events in our life is usually determined by how we handle the meantime. And in the meantime, developing patience, trust, peace, the ability, self-control, the ability to resist the temptation to just distract yourself from the boring. Those are conditioning you building up the kinds of muscles that are needed for the breakthroughs in your life. And again, the reality is that most of our life is that meantime, which means most of the life is actually in preparation. And how we handle those seasons of preparation is very important for how you'll handle the major breakthroughs or the major crisis that happen in your life. Because not everybody's meantime is monotonous, um, drudgery some you know a lot of parenting for all those breakthrough moments that are wonderful and joyous um, (laughs) there's a lot of 
pain and suffering in the middle. I will say that in the meantime, um, one of the things that I actually really remember in honor of Mother's Day that I uh, have recently had to go through a practice of going through my life and remembering important things that helped shape my character. Um, And one of the little subtle things that emerged in my life that I didn't realize was such a big deal until now, decades later, is when I was a kid, we, we lived um, right at 20 minutes away from where we <laughs> spent the majority of our life. Okay, so the majority of our life was in Durant. Church, school, everything. Almost everything we did was in Durant, uh, Oklahoma, for those who don't know. Um, and we lived about 20 minutes away. And there was a season of construction that it turned into 25 minutes. Ugh, it was terrible. But for that 20, 25 minutes, when I had the benefit and privilege of sitting in the front seat, which when you are second born, it almost never happens. Especially since my brother wasn't just older, he was bigger. And so even if I wanted to get in the front seat and thought I could fight for it, I'd lose anyway. So, but when I got to sit in the front seat, what ended up being one of the most important um, things that, that helped shape who I am and helped carried me through difficult times was uh, up, being up, up front in the front seat with my mom. And... Um, I was not the most talkative of individuals. I know that that sounds weird in the sense that I sort of make a living by talking. But as a kid and, in like, in just my normal life, like, I don't have to talk. Um, I'm in my head most of the time. And as a kid, I was that way, just sort of spaced out. <laughs> yeah, spaced out. Um, and my mom would always do such a good job of just, like, not the, the generic, hey, how was your day? But just like, when to be quiet and just let me be there. And when to just ask and, and just have these little brief conversations. And over the course of time, just building that relationship, that being okay with being quiet. Uh, my mo- I'm a lot like my mom. My mom and I are wired very, very similarly. Uh, and so she would be able to read very well um, where I was and and how I was doing and and made a lot of significant deposits. And that was just one of the ways that developed a a good, healthy relationship, a sense where I would learn to hear the voice of God through the voice of my mom. I don't know if you know this, but the voice of the Holy Spirit can sound eerily similar to your mom. (laughs) At least for me anyway. (laughs) Um... But that was one of the ways that, that like, carried me through the meantime. But not, not all of us just have these prolonged seasons of, of it just being monotonous or boring or uneventful. Many times the, the, the prolonged seasons of our life are much darker, much harder. They're not necessarily eventful, but they're also not boring. They're hurtful. Prolonged seasons of sorrow or hurt, or pain, or confusion. And that kind of meantime, I would maybe compare with a, a biblical analogy, and I'll show you a couple stories, that is far more like a storm 
like a long, prolonged storm than it is just a prolonged road trip filled with 90s Christian music to distract you. Um, where, where pain sets in beyond just emotional and it starts integrating into your body. That kind of pain, the unanswered questions that go for a long period of time, the sorrow and loss that you thought grieving was, was going to be for a short season and then that, se- that short season becomes a very prolonged season. Where illness isn't just something that happened to you, now it's sort of a lifelong condition. And we, in this church, will talk about victory. We talk about healing, which we believe. We talk about God's provision, which we believe. And sometimes in talking about those things, in delivering the truth that we believe, we believe God wills to heal, um, that when we communicate the truth, a lot of times... We don't have the patience or the tolerance or the wisdom on how to handle the tension when things don't turn out exactly like you think they should. How it gets confusing when we pray for someone and they're healed. And we pray for someone, not even as bad of a condition, another person, and they don't get healed. Some person gets healed instantly and another person it takes a long time. That's a hard tension to manage. That's why you belong to a church. You don't just attend a church. It's because that's how we have to be in this together through the meantime. Through the tension and the confusion and the unanswered questions. And for any of us to stand up here and deliver shallow platitudes as if biblical cliches was enough to answer all the unanswered questions, that would be foolishness. I'm just not going to do that. I care too much about not being pretentious to do that to you. That it's real. It's a real challenge. Um, To both believe for healing and be consistent in that faith over and over and over. And yet know that there's people we pray for and it doesn't, we don't see the answer. And so those kinds of tensions create this, this confusion in the meantime. And when we're living in that kind of tension and that tension gets prolonged over a period of time, that's when we just sort of out of frustration, not annoyance, but frustration. God, are we there yet? And two stories from Scripture that I would kind of take that sense, that feeling, that, that mean time that isn't just boring but frustrating or hurtful or sorrowful as a storm. The first one is in Mark chapter 6. Verse 45, this is a story of Jesus sending his disciples across the sea. Verse 45, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, 
and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. (laughs) Does that not... I don't know, you might be in a current season, but I'm sure there's at least one season of your life that you feel like that describes your condition, the way you're living. You're living in obedience to the Lord, going to whatever the other side is, and you're not even halfway, and you're making headway painfully because the wind is against you. And about the fourth watch of the night, He came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. How uncaring of Jesus. Don't you see, Jesus, like how painful this is, how difficult this is? But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. Now, you can't just take one story and say, well then every single situation is going to look exactly like this. And if I just do these particular things, then I can sort of trick God into doing the same thing he did before. It's just not going to work. Okay? you're not going to be able to manipulate God. He's not gullible to you. Okay? And this isn't even the only story of Jesus in a storm. If you just read the Gospels, we have at least, at least, two separate stories. One of them, he's in the boat and he's asleep in the middle of a storm. In another storm, the disciples are by themselves and he's walking on the water. But in the very least... Not to try to say that you can sort of create this little formula and then just approach that formula on any storm. But in the very least, what you have to see is that that this can describe a lot of our lives, making headway painfully and the wind being against us. And the most important thing I would say in this story is that Jesus is there not always recognizable, as a matter of fact, they thought he was a ghost. And they were freaked out. They were terrified. But the words of Jesus, take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. And no matter what storm we're going through, no matter how prolonged, frustrating, difficult, a meantime season we might be in, in the very least, Because of Jesus' resurrection and the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, we can be sure Jesus has not abandoned us. And no matter what storm we're in, we don't have to lose heart. That's the thing what's happening is that the enemy is after our heart. Because these storms can come from all sorts of places. It can be other people's bad decisions could be your own fault. could have nothing to do with you. And it could just be, we live in a broken world. It could be that there's actual forces, spiritual forces that are arrayed against you, coming against you. 
We don't just live in a physical, tangible world. We live where there is a parallel world interacting and overlapping this world, a spiritual world of which there are evil and dark forces that are arrayed against us. But regardless of the storm, what's happening is the enemy's trying to get to your heart to get you to lose heart or harden your heart. As a matter of fact, the next verse right after that talks about their hearts were hardened. That's what they were struggling with is a hardness of heart because that's a real temptation when you're not there yet and it just seems like it's going on and on and on making headway painfully and the wind against you that you want to try to just whatever survival mechanism you can come up with and many people's strategy to survive a prolonged season or storm like that is to just harden the heart, stop feeling, stop caring, just buckle down and endure. Or lose heart, give in to fear, give in to anxiety, give in to sorrow, give in to depression. And I just, I find it significant that Jesus' first words is, Take heart. Take account of your heart. Proverbs 4. Guard your heart above all else. For from it will flow the issues of life. So when you're in the meantime, what's mattering the most is what's going on in your heart. Don't harden it. Don't lose it. Take heart. And Jesus says, it's not that the storm will stop first. He says, it is I. I'm here. Instead of focusing on the storm, instead of focusing on the the pain, instead of focusing on the meantime or the prolonged season, we focus on Jesus. And the number one command, well, there's two. I I haven't figured out the exact count. So we'll, we'll call them both number one. There's two number ones, if you can have that in scripture. That is a command. Do not be afraid is towards the top of the list. Second or close to first is remember. A command to remember. Why? Because we forget. Okay, so he says don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Listen, when he says that, he's not in the boat yet and the storm is still raging. And he says don't be afraid. The only way that's possible I'm not a fan of the water, okay? Like, I got no problem with swimming or swimming pools, but I have a thing about the ocean. And what I mean by that is I don't go in it. <laughs> I just think, like, like for whatever reason, I, I, I realize that sharks have a purpose in the ecosystem, okay? And I just, I feel as though the water's their territory, and I just don't need to go anywhere near their territory, Okay, it's probably irrational, but I don't think so. That's the nature of self-deception, by the way. <laughs> so, like, the idea of a storm at sea, that is terrifying to me. Um, but, like, I, I, we live, come on, where we live is not like, like we, it's Lake Texoma, the worst we got is big catfish, okay? Which are 
And they're pretty nasty and pretty deadly, but not nearly the same as a shark. These are, like at least a few of them, are professional fishermen. And the storm is raging enough for them to be terrified. That's got to be a pretty bad storm. And yet, Jesus says, take hold of your heart. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I would say, no matter the storm, in the very least, we can take those words seriously. Jesus is still present. Doesn't mean all of our questions get answered, but Jesus is still present, and we don't have to be afraid. Now, a similar story, but in a completely different context, is in Acts chapter 27. Now, the whole chapter gives this whole story. It's 44 verses. So, (laughs) I didn't go that route for the reading today. That's a long time to stand up, okay? I... I appreciate it, though, that we honor the word and standing. But this whole story, if you read the whole story in Acts chapter 27, is the story of of Paul who's imprisoned, and he has appealed to Caesar, and he's on his way to Rome. And the centurion that's watching him and guarding him is having to find a route to get to Rome. And he finds a a boat, it's not the best time of year, but they get a boat, and Paul is warning them, and he's like, hey, I perceive that this journey will be dangerous, and will come with loss of life and equipment. And it says that the centurion listened more to the owner and the captain than to Paul. And so, um, it happens exactly like the Apostle Paul said, that the storm rages, uh, it gets bad, and it gets bad for a long time to where they, they no longer have any clue where they're at. They're just getting tossed about. They're trying to advance. They can't. They try to go against the wind, and they can't. And so they're just carried along. And um, about halfway through the story... I I think that this description of their condition might relate to many of you. Verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Paul and by implication, at least Luke. Luke, the writer, he speaks saying us. So Paul has a few companions that have chosen to be with him who predicted that this would happen and is in this condition by no fault of his own, even warned the people who were leading that this was going to happen, is finding himself in this situation when neither sun nor stars had appeared for many days. In the ancient world, the only navigation they had was sun and stars. And so no ability to navigate where they are. And no small tempest lay upon us. It is not a small storm that we're up against. And they had given all of their strategies that they could come up with up to this point. And they gave up. All hope of us being saved had disappeared. 
Does that relate to anybody? That you find yourself in a situation or a season, something has happened to you and you've done all you know to do. Tried all you know to try, done as best you can and yet over a long period of time you now can see no sun or stars and it's like the storm just hasn't given up and all hope of you being saved has disappeared look at what the apostle Paul says in this verse 21 since they had been without food for a long time Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me (laughs) and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. It's just like a prophet. I told you so. Yet now I urge you, take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Now here's the deal. Paul would eventually go on to die. And everybody that was with him have since died. And again, I don't think it's right to do to scripture to just take a story like this and then have to force every piece of it onto your current situation. You have to learn how to engage with scripture to to catch what's all underneath it and learn how to trust the same God. The God that carried him through. You can't just say, well, you know, there were no loss of life for Paul and his, you know, those who accompanied him. So there's going to be no loss of life in my life. Well, here's the deal. I've heard it said. I've heard it said, life is so dangerous, no one gets out alive. (laughs) And in this story, yes, a messenger comes from the Lord. And I just love the way the Apostle Paul will put these things. The God to whom I belong, to whom I worship. See, at least you can carry that. I don't belong to me. Whatever I'm in the midst of, whatever storm, whether it's my fault or someone else's fault, I don't belong to me. I worship God and I belong to him. And in this case, yes, the messenger said, hey, listen, you're going to go before Caesar. And with, because of that, anyone that's with you, they're going to be okay. What we have to be assured of is that God will fulfill his purpose 
And I can trust him to fulfill his purpose. It's part of what Psalm 57 is, that I worship the God to whom he fulfills his purpose for me. That doesn't mean I'm going to get every question answered. It doesn't mean that I can't subvert God's purpose. It means that I can trust him, and in trusting him, he'll carry me through to my purpose. And I can take heart. A little further in the story, verse 33 says this, as day was about to dawn, we just have to know that no storm lasts forever. Even if whatever season you're in may feel like years, decades, the entirety of our life, if it, if it is our entire life, what James, the brother of Jesus, said is that it, our life, is a vapor. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Now, there's probably so much here, and I'm about done. And so I can't go into all the connections and parallels here and all the meanings behind this. But I do find it interesting that Luke, the author, is very particular about his language. And as I showed you last week in Luke 24, and on the road to Emmaus, the disciples that were there discouraged, Jesus goes before them, he takes bread, breaks it and gives it. It's a very important connection that Luke makes throughout his story. But he uses a word, Eucharistio, which is the phrase giving thanks. He only uses that a couple times. And one of them is at the Last Supper in Luke 22, where Jesus took the bread and giving thanks, blessed it, broke it and gave it. And the Apostle Paul does this here. Now it doesn't say he's, they're taking communion or they're, um, they're engaging in the Eucharist. But it's very specific language to say that he's taking that same idea of the Eucharist, giving thanks that Jesus giving his life in his broken body and his shed blood, he brought into this situation. He brought into this idea of giving thanks, living a sacramental life, that even in this storm, before the day dawns, he takes the bread, something as boring and monotonous as bread, and he gives thanks. And he breaks it and gives it. In the very least, what we can see is no matter what situation we're in, no matter what storm we might find ourselves in, the most important thing that acts as an anchor for the soul that acts as a tether when we're faced with tragedy or prolonged seasons or frustration or unanswered questions is to continue to see Jesus crucified, died, and raised from the dead. That because of Jesus' resurrection, suffering and death do not have the final word. And let me connect this back to our reading. 
I don't know where everyone's particular there is. There are many times in our life that there are numerous theirs. That we get there. But here's the deal about there. It does not last very long. You're going to be in between again. All of us, all of humanity is still, though, in a meantime. We haven't hit the end yet. And none of us knows exactly when the end is. And many of you have suffered much. And a lot of those unanswered questions of how come we can pray for this person and they're healed, we pray for this person and they pass away. Now it's not the time to talk about maybe some of the particulars of that. Some of it's a mystery. How can we both believe in healing and then we still experience death? Doesn't it seem contradictory? Doesn't it seem like you're just turning a blind eye? Well, tell that to everyone who has been healed. This became very real to me in sort of two contrasting kinds of ways. A little more than 13 years ago. I've said this before, so I won't go into much detail. Um, 13 years ago, my wife and I lost our first child to miscarriage. And some people take miscarriage harder than other people do. I didn't take it so well. Uh, I didn't question God's goodness. I didn't question God's love. I was asking questions about his justice, though. And in that period, it took about three to four months of working through this with the Lord. I still have some unanswered questions. And one of them that probably is never going to get answered is the why question. And I imagine nearly all of us have some versions of a why question that is still unanswered. I don't have an answer to that. But the Lord took me to where our readings were from. It was in 1 Corinthians 15. And I don't have time to, to lay this out because I want you to just get this sense that all of us are in an in-between and in that in-between, we've all prayed for, been connected with, loved people we've lost in the middle who were unsure, did they fulfill God's purpose? If God's purposes can't be thwarted, then how come their lives ended? I'm not convinced that they fulfilled their purpose. And... This is where the Lord took me. And in 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's verse 43. 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we will, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Think of it this way. What God the Father did for the Son, Jesus, on Easter morning, he will do for all who belong to Christ Jesus. And later he begins to describe what this is. When the perishable 
puts on the imperishable. That's verse 54. When the perishable, because he says it's going to happen like that. We don't know when that trump is, but it's going to happen like that in a twinkling of an eye. It'll happen like this. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, because here's the reality, we're all perishable. That's why for every person who's been raised from the dead, which our last son, just a few years ago, was raised from the dead. For every person that's been raised from the dead, including the people Jesus raised from the dead, eventually died. Life is so dangerous, nobody's getting out alive. But there will be a point where the perishable puts on the imperishable. And that which is mortal will put on immortality. When that happens, I'm too far over, we just need to land this plane. When this happens, then shall come true the same. And then he quotes from Isaiah 25. Death is swallowed up in victory. And 55, oh death, where is your victory? That is a gutsy statement. Death, where is your victory? Because every single time we've done a funeral and put a casket right here, it sure looks like death won. Right? Every time you've buried a loved one, death won that. Right? We didn't win. But somehow, I don't know how, I just believe the word. That when even the people who we've buried, who may be little more than dust now, God will completely reconstruct their body where Revelation 22 says, when this happens, when there's new heavens and new earth, it says, death shall be no more. When that happens, and every, every atom, every subatomic particle that makes up our body is completely reconstructed without a hint of sin or death, then comes true the statement, death swallowed up in victory to the point where then he quotes Hosea 13, 14, or Hosea 13, 12, 13, 14. All of us who've in some way tasted death, we haven't died yet, but we've buried people who have. But we and they will look back and whatever God does in resurrection will be so overwhelming that we all will look back at death. You didn't win anything. Well, I can tell you that's not how I feel today. Right? But one day it'll come to pass. And when all that takes place, verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time I pray for someone now, 
I want to see a measure of that victory right now. Every time we lay hands on the sick, we're believing for a taste of that victory right now. But here's the deal, we're all still mortal. But there'll be a day where it's immortal. And we'll taunt death. Sickness, disease, death, it lost. And that's why verse 58 is important. Therefore, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your meantime, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Every time we put our trust in the Lord, every time we keep praying for people, every time we have faith, every time we choose a soft heart instead of a hard heart, every time we choose trust instead of fear, it's a work of the Lord and that work is not in vain. And somehow we just stay connected to Jesus and he'll carry us to the other side. He'll carry us to that there. And if I die somewhere in between, He's going to raise me up on the last day and I'm still going to talk death. Death hadn't won a thing. Amen. I went really long. So. I'm just going to bring Kayla up and give away. In the meantime, it's not, we don't mean to belittle if you're in the meantime. That is a really stinky place to be. So it, whether you're listening online or, or you're here right now, I, I want to encourage you in, in that. Um, I'm going to ask Miss Yvonne if she'll come up here and, and minister with me um, at the end. I'm not going to, I'm normally at the door as we leave. But, and I'm not going to be this time, but I want, um, so we're going to be standing here for just a few minutes afterwards. And if you're in the meantime and you need something, come here and we'll just pray for you. We'll hear what you have to say. If there's some way that we can help in the meantime, we'll do that because we don't, this is like he said, like Pastor Jacob said, this is not about platitudes and about, you know, things that you write on your refrigerator or a a poster in your house with butterflies on it. This is not that. We want to recognize that if you're in it, especially if you're in the meantime, it's a hurtful place. It's a hard place to be. And so we want to encourage you in that. So if you have something you need to talk to me, give me five minutes and I'll be, I'll be with you because just for a few minutes now, we're going to be, have a, an opportunity for ministry. So if you have something that you need, I'm going to say amen and y'all are free to leave. But if you have something you need, you come and uh, Yvonne and I want to pray with you, okay? Father, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for your trustworthiness that if when we're in, when we're in the meantime, when we're in the middle of a storm, that you are always trustworthy. We've seen it over and over in our lives. Most of us who have been on this walk for a long time have seen it so many times that that you're always faithful in the storm. And just like the disciples learned, 
to be faithful in struggles and difficult circumstances in life that eventually they come to be more trusting in the storm. Thank you for that, that, that you give us opportunity to grow in our faith. So, Father, as we leave this place, being a people of faith, I pray that we'll take that everywhere we go, that every place that our foot falls, that we will be Jesus to the people that we come in contact with, because in that, we bring you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.